Turn with me over to the pastoral epistles. That's 1 Timothy chapter 3 as you're making your way there. 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus make up those letters to the preachers. And uh, All right, you'll be back after church, okay? Yeah. Amen. All right. Amen. And waiting all service to get to go to children's church. And now they open God's word and hear him speak there, and so are we this morning. So get your copy. If you don't have a copy of God's word, please grab a Bible there in the pew rack in front of you and, and open it up so we can all have our hearts open before the Lord. Have you ever watched the History Channel? Seen some of those documentaries that they have on all the great ancient mysteries and trying to solve some of those mysteries? They answer the question like, was there a real King Arthur? And um, is there a real city of Atlantis? I mean, I know there's a movie, right? Um, Aquaman. Uh, where is Alexander the Great buried? I mean, he conquered the whole earth, but where did they bury him? Who shot JFK? That's the big one, right? We still don't know the answer to. The, these mysteries, some of them have been solved. Some haven't been solved. And sometimes that's because the relevant uh, excavation material has been lost or an archaeological site has been destroyed, and so they are trying to put everything, all the evidence they can to bring forth the truth, what this mystery, and solve it. And the amazing thing about these, these historical mysteries is a lot of times you have these scholars that <clears throat> don't have definitive explanations, uh, and they're not always in agreement. But there's a mystery today in the Bible I'm going to show you that we're going to talk about, the mystery of godliness. And, and here's the amazing thing. It doesn't involve a person whether we wonder whether he really existed or not, because he did. There's eyewitnesses that he really did exist. He's, he's a king too. Not like King Arthur. He's the king of kings. And in fact, he was really buried. And, and, and they know where, and, and at least they knew that day where he was buried, because they went there. And the amazing thing, he wasn't there when they went there though, right? They know who killed him too. He was hung on a cross for all to see, for the whole world to see. And, and, and there's testimony to that. And he rose from the dead. He went to a place called heaven. It's not some unknown city like Atlantis. I mean, we have eyewitnesses that, have, well, at least in a dream, and a vision, John has given us a picture of what it looks like. So it's there, y'all. Paul was actually lifted up and into the third heavens, right? And, and he couldn't tell us everything that he saw. It was too magnificent. So... This mystery is not like the, the historical mysteries that are out there, but it, but it is a mystery nonetheless. It's the mystery of godliness. And the amazing thing is this mystery is actually the key to understanding the doctrine of godliness. If you don't understand this mystery, if we don't solve this one and understand this mystery, then you and I will not be able to practice godliness. We won't be able to live in a God-honoring way every faith every religion out there they all have their mysteries secret doctrines right they usually keep it for just a select few just some elite right some special class individuals that get to to know the the mysteries but the amazing thing about this mystery is this is one for everybody to know this is one for everyone to confess this is one that God wants everyone to know every God wants everyone to experience in fact, what we have here, as Pastor Polly alluded to earlier, this is a song. This is a song that was sung by the early church. Six stanzas, six verses. This is, as the rappers would say, they're laying down some good lyrics right here. Right? I'm not going to rap it for you in the Greek, okay? They're, they're laying down th these, these short verses, 
concentrated truth. But yet, if you really stop, if we really meditate on these truths this morning, and, and, and all that God is, is, is unfolding before us, it is, it is truly amazing what it tells us about him. In fact, it's designed that way. Some would say that it's, it's written a song, these verses, in such a way so that we can see the glory of God and, and the glory of His Son, the riches of our salvation, all that we've experienced in Christ. Not just keep it for ourselves, but tell it to a world around us. This is a song that you should download, not into your iPod, okay? But download into your heart, your mind, and sing these truths throughout the week. It's going to be essential to understanding godliness. It's going to be essential to live in godly. In fact, we're going to stand. We're going to read it again. I'm going to actually back up to verse 14 to get a running start here because it's important in the text. But, but listen, as we do this in just a moment when we stand, here's what I want you to think. Imagine you're the early church. You're getting the letter. You're in Ephesus. You're in Ephesus there with Timothy. He's, he's leading the congregation. He's going to read. And then, and then this is a song that, that we're going to sing that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write. And as he writes this, we want to, Lord, help me to, to think and meditate on who you are and what you're like and understand this mystery so that it can be a part of my life. So stand with me and honor the word of the Lord. As we read verses 14 through 16, this short section, Paul writing his purpose here. He had two purposes in writing First Timothy to, to Timothy. Here's one of them. These things I write to you, Though I hope to come to you shortly. Of course, Timothy is in Ephesus, okay? But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you, might to con- you are to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground or support of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God who was manifested in the flesh justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Father, we just read your word again. Lord, uh, for a second time in the service to uh, just saturate in our, our hearts and minds so we can meditate on it, Lord, and our lives can be made new. Lord, there's critical truth here. Uh, Critical truth for us to realize how we're saved and and how to live in a way, Lord, that is like you. And so, God, speak to us today. I I pray not just for anointed preaching, but for anointed hearing today. God, may all of our hearts want to hear the word, that that it'll change our lives, Lord. God, if there's anyone before me that's yet to believe these truths, that for them it's a, it's a controversy, it's hard for them to confess it. God, may today be the day that, Lord, they repent and they believe, that they believe in their heart and they confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. And we'll give you all the glory and honor, Father. May we sing this song celebrating the greatness of our God and all that he's done for us to make him like him. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. What Paul has just done, and he speaks to you and me as well, is he's instructed Timothy that the church is the household of faith. And there's a way that we should conduct ourselves as the household of God, as God's children. There's a way that we should live honorably before the Lord as God's people. God wants us to be like him. 
we spent all last year walking through the attributes of God, studying some of the names of God. Now, this is the year when we talk about what it means to be like him, the God who saved us. What Paul tells Timothy, listen, this is critical. Church, you're the pillar and you're the support of the truth. This truth is, is upheld by us. We, we uphold this. We proclaim it. We protect it. We, we make sure that we stay grounded in it. And we're the grounds. We're, we're the ones professing it out to a world around us. This truth, as he says in verse 15, this truth is powerful stuff. This truth changes lives. We're not supposed to be ashamed of this truth. If anything can, can radically change the United States or our, our nation, our, our state, our community, it's, it's this truth that we're going to sing today and celebrate today. In these six sentences, Paul just gives us these essentials of the faith. In the Greek, there's just a simple uniformity to all of them. All the verbs are, are right there in the, in the past tense and pointing to the fact that something has already occurred. Y'all, this is all true. We're grounded in this. We can stake everything on it. It's not something that's going to happen. It already has happened. And because it has happened, it impacts my life and yours. In fact, some would see three parallel little couplets of these six sentences, comparing, contrasting the work of God and, and considering all that Christ has done. There's a beautiful symmetry there and, and yet a uniformity, and that's just a, a reflection of our God. All the things he did, a God of chaos, he's a God of order. And he wants to bring order to our lives. And the way he brings order to our lives is through the gospel and the truths that, that, is, that are sung here. There's a mystery that, that we have to unwind here. We have to figure out. I mean, how could a holy God redeem sinful man? And then enable us to be like him. Now, not like him where we're little gods. We get our own planets. That's, 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 we don't believe in Mormonism. That's, that's a different Jesus. That's a different faith. It's not the same. We, 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 we're not going to be little gods, but we will be like him. His divine power has granted that to us. His spirit dwells within us. And one day we'll see him as he is because we will be like him. Why is godliness so mysterious? To, to be like him. Well, you would agree with me, I think. Christianity, in a sense, is a mystery in some ways. In what, what sense, Pastor Chris? Well, you see, human reason never would have thunk this, right? We never would have thought this up. We, we never would have conjured up all these, this way. I mean, there's no faith like this. All the faiths are separated like a continental divide there in the Rocky Mountains that separates the, the water that flows to the Pacific Ocean and the water that flows to the Atlantic Ocean. All the other faiths are on one side. Christianity stands on this side all by itself. Authentic Christianity. In that sense, right? God redeems man. Man doesn't work his way to God. God makes us godly. It's, 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 it's his work in us, not us trying to be better and make ourselves better. The mystery is this. How, how does God do that? Well, well, the mystery is one that's designed to promote godliness. In other words, you could actually say it this way. It's not that the mystery is godliness, but godliness is based on a mystery. There's a mystery that leads to godliness. In fact, it's not surprising to find this word mystery. You find it all throughout scripture. Did you know when Jesus was walking with his disciples and over in the gospel of Matthew, over in the gospel of Mark, and he was teaching them and he said, listen, unto you has been given the parables, right? The mysteries of heaven. 
the mysteries of the kingdom. And those parables are insightful. Now, to some, it's confusing. And, and, and they have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. He says, but to you has been given the meaning, the significance of them. There's not just the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. You know, Jesus, when he talked to Nicodemus there in John chapter 3, you know, the whole new birth, that's a mysterious thing, isn't it? How does that happen? Well, I don't know, but I know this. You can see the effects that it has happened. There's evidence, right? Just as the wind blows. You don't see the wind, but you see the effect of the wind. It's mysterious how one is born again. There's a mystery in Colossians chapter 1. How Christ fills, indwells believers. Something God intended. He, he wanted man made in his image. He made us in his image so he could fill it. God knew this all before the foundation of the world. What an amazing God. But it's a mystery, he says, Paul would say to the Colossians, how Christ indwells us. There's a mystery, he'll tell the church in Ephesus, how God, listen to this, this is amazing, how God brought Jew and Gentile together in the body of Christ and tore down the dividing wall that had separated them in worship. That dividing wall was a wall that separated them at the tabernacle, at the temple. But that wall's broken down now. Jew and Gentile uh, can come to Christ in Ephesians chapter 5, another mystery. The mystery there is, is how the relationship of Christ to the church is reflected in our marriages. Uh, the relationship between a, a bride and her spouse. And, and how that's the, a mystery, a mysterious relationship that we get to sing the gospel as we're married throughout our, our, our lives. There's a mystery of lawlessness over in 2 Thessalonians 2. It's what's going to happen in the end times, the Antichrist, when, when he's revealed. And that's the important thing to understand, that these mysteries are things that are unknown and then made known. That's a biblical mystery. Oh, by the way, there's one more mystery that's important. And that's the mystery, Paul says, that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed. Hey, the rapture, he's going to snatch us away. When's that going to happen? I don't know, but I should live every day as though it could be today. Yeah. I should be expecting that, looking forward to that, living with an anticipation. These are the mysteries. So it's not surprising that I would find this discussion of a mystery of godliness. You see, mysteries are things that are once hidden, but now revealed. And so when Paul writes this way, he's not writing saying that godliness is the mystery. He's saying godliness is based on a mystery and the mystery now has been made known godliness is not a mysterious what do i do godliness godliness is a mysterious who has done it jesus jesus is the essence is the essence it's what you and i must know we should know about him in order to live godly lives so many are asking, what do I do to, to be godly? But really, it's what does God do in me to make me godly? It's not so much that we work and gin it up and make it happen. No, no, no. It's we die to self and he manifests that life in us and through us. And so Paul's going to sing this song. Why? To help us understand that this godliness is based on a mystery, a mystery of who? Of Christ. And it's a mystery of faith. By the way, it's the truth that he mentions back in verse 15 that we hold up. It's this truth about Jesus. Do you know the world doesn't really like our truth about Jesus? You've noticed that, right? Our truth, what we believe, it's not even our truth, it's God's truth, right? But we're to proclaim that, we're to profess that, we're not to be ashamed of it. 
In fact, if you're a deacon, by the way, back in verse 9, if you wanted to draw a little circle in the word mystery there and draw it up to verse 9, there's a word mystery there. As a deacon, if you serve, you have to hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. No wavering, no wandering, no doubting. No, with conviction. You know who Christ is. Why? You know why? Because as a servant, you're going to follow in the footsteps of that servant and, and do just as he did, serving the body that he died for. And how did he do that? As a servant, dying for us. This mystery is something that, that, that isn't a controversy. Now it says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. This is fascinating. I don't know if you know this. Paul is writing to Timothy. He's in Ephesus. Now why is that significant? Well, if you go to the book of Acts, when Paul was there and planted the churches, and then he came there, uh, there was a little riot there at one point, right? Why? Well, because everybody, people were turning to Christ and turning away from their idols, specifically the idols of Diana, Diana of Ephesus. There's a great temple there. I've been there. The, the, the foundation's still there. You can see portions of it. But, but they used to worship Diana, the fertility goddess, okay? And, and, and all the silversmiths were losing their trade, and they're getting a little bit upset because this, this, yo, this guy over here, Paul, man, he's preaching about Jesus, and so when they stirred up all the people and dragged them there to the amphitheater, and the amphitheater is phenomenal, it's amazing. It really does work amazingly. And they were there and they started shouting. And you know what they used to shout? Great is Diana, great is Diana, great is Diana. So it's not surprising Paul would say here, great is the mystery of our godliness. Great is the mystery of godliness. And who's the mystery of godliness? That great name we just sang about, Jesus that great name that saved us. That great name that one day we're going to see in heaven. That great name. This mystery is great. It's glorious. It's, it's without controversy. And you say, well, I, I know some people that would have a second thought about that. It's, it's controversial to them. No, no, no. What he's saying in the Greek is, is literally by common confession. In other words, if you profess Jesus as Lord with your lips... This isn't controversial to you. There's, there's no controversy here. This is, the, this is our faith at the end of the day. This is what we believe. Jesus is, is, is the foundation. He's the cornerstone, right? And you've got to build your life on him and on his word. And, and, and so for us, with common consent, there's no controversy. And what God wants is for every tongue to confess... Jesus is Lord. And one day, every tongue will confess that. In heaven, on the earth, under the earth, everyone will bend the knee and every tongue will acknowledge this truth. Why not today? It's a great truth. It'll radically change our lives. It'll save us from the, the sin that, that so easily uh, leads us and, and, and destroys our life. It sets us free from that, that blood that Jesus shed. And, and Paul is just writing about this. And, and the whole of our faith is based on this truth. The whole of our faith is based on this God who is truth. Jesus. His person. And, and the work that he's done. And, and so Paul just has it in these six phrases. God was manifested in the flesh. Justified by the spirit. He was seen by angels. Pro, preached among the Gentiles, proclaimed or b believed on in the world and received up in glory. Each one, uh, in some ways, there's a mystery tied to some of the things that you read. You see, there's the mystery of the incarnation. 
God was manifested in the flesh. Deity took on humanity. It's what we just celebrated at Christmas, right? Y'all remember that, right? That's what Christmas was about, right? Not the presence, his presence among us. That's really what it was about. That Jesus stepped down from glory, stepped into the earth that he created. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Y'all, he put a tabernacle, he, tent, he, he put a tent on, he came. He, he was manifest in the flesh. The son of God became the son of man, and, and the one that angels worshipped, and the uncreated, uh, almighty, eternal Second person of the Godhead, he stepped down into this creation. How did he do that? It's kind of mysterious in some ways, right? I mean, how, does, how is he fully God and fully man in one person? I mean, the, the church, we've wrestled with that. And they go to the Council of Nicaea, right? 435, they're trying to figure that out. Trying to answer that question. How do you have two persons? No, it's one person. It's not two persons. You have, you have two essence. No, you have fully God, fully. And they answer all those questions. And it all went down to a little iota right homo we see us you say what is that well that's some deep stuff you can have some tea with me in my office we'll talk about it okay they have big theological words we try to understand it the hypostatic union right it's a mystery in some ways you'll never fully figure it all out because god did it (laughs) but you know what here's what it's not a mystery he did it he did he put on flesh when you stop and think about from the foundation Man was made in his image because I think he knew he'd have to fill it in some way. Wow. What is man that you even think of him? I mean, you should step back in humility. I mean, this is more than just Jesus became man. He was incarnated. There's so much depth to this. Why did he do this? Why did he come? Why, why did he have to put on that flesh to redeem us? Why? Because you see, the first Adam that God breathed his spirit into, right? The first Adam failed. He fell short of the glory of God. He stumbled and sinned and rebelled against the creator. He didn't obey one simple command of, of not to eat from the tree. And because of that, second Adam, Jesus, had to put on this flesh. He had to come and he willingly left the glories of heaven. Paul would tell that in Philippians chapter 2, right? He who existed in the form of God didn't hold, did not consider it robbery. He didn't hold on to it tightly, but willingly added humanity to his deity. Taking, taking, on, taking on the form of what? A man. Specifically the form of a servant. He, he came to this world. He came to this world, this world that rejected him. This world that hated him, that ridiculed him, that mocked him. It killed him. Crucified him. Why? He came as a man. To redeem fallen man. If he doesn't come in a man, as a man, he can't redeem us. If he's not fully God, he can't redeem us. We need one, as Job would say, I need an intercessor that can touch both sides. I need one that can bridge the, the gap, the gulf between God and man. And it's Jesus. And he was manifested in the flesh. A mystery. He, he was mysteriously resurrected. The vacant tomb. Now, the word here is he was justified in the spirit. It's a word that oftentimes is used to make, uh, that we use to say a sinner is made righteous. And some will say, 
How, how do you get Jesus being vindicated or declared righteous? I mean, he didn't sin. No, he didn't sin, did he? No. He's sinless. He was tempted in all ways and yet without sin. But Paul would tell us that he who knew no sin became sin for us. Why? So that we could experience the righteousness of God. When did this justification take place? Well, I believe Paul mentions it over in the book of Romans, over in Romans chapter 1, where he mentions Jesus' humanity and Jesus' deity. Jesus' full humanity being the seed of David, the son of David, and also being the son of God. How? When he was raised from the dead. You see, when Jesus was raised from the dead, it proved he was the son of God. That resurrection is essential. In fact, Paul would say over in Romans chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, you see, amazing, this beautiful picture that the one who died for you and me, who was buried in a grave, he rose again on the third day by the power of the Spirit of God. And, and by that, beloved just as he was justified in the spirit and it proved that he was the son of God, now that he lives, beloved, one day, we don't have to fear death. We're going to live too forever. And that's our hope. That's what we live with. We sing this. We celebrate this. Now, here's the amazing thing. Those two events were both seen by angels. Before Jesus came, of course, the messengers of God, the angels were there. They were present all throughout his life at the incarnation, even before he was conceived, right? The angel had to come and tell Mary, hey, by the way, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. Do what? How can that happen? Well, the Spirit will come upon you, right? And it's the Spirit that will make that happen. And the angels are the one that announced that. In fact, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there were shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. And, and angels were there to declare, to pronounce, hey, go see what has happened. In fact, as, as Jesus grew and, and when he was tempted by uh, the devil and, and he was there in the wilderness those 40 days and 40 nights and, and tempted in all ways, it was the angels that were there that ministered to him. We know that when he was uh, pushed to the limits there in the Garden of Gethsemane and sweated blood because he wrestled with the, the decision that was before him, the cross that was before him, and his willingness to drink that cup of God's wrath for us, every last drop, it says there that angels ministered to him. In fact, it was angels that were there when he rose from the dead. They, they rolled the stone back, so, not so Jesus could get out, so that the women could get in. And see, he's not there. In fact, they told him that, hey, the one you're looking for, he's not here. He's not here. And when Jesus ascended back to the right hand of the Father, the angels were there. Hey, why are you looking up in the sky? What are you looking for? He said he'll come back. One day he will. You find them all over. And now angels behold the one that stepped down from glory, and stepped into humanity. And, and they see him now seated at the right hand of the Father, worshiping Him. He's been seen by angels. He's seen by angels. Now, did you know He was seen by fallen angels? Lucifer? He used to lead worship there in heaven until that day when He thought He could be God and God said, I don't think so, not in my lifetime. And He was kicked out of heaven. He's been seen by even that fallen angel. They, they know who the Son of God is. 
And they announced that. They pronounced it. In fact, what's fascinating is when prophets would write, Peter would tell us in 1 Peter chapter 1, when prophets would write about all that was going to happen with the coming of Jesus, not, the prophets didn't understand everything they wrote. And the angels, Peter says, they looked into those things, trying to figure that out. What, is this, what does this mean? Because they didn't know. They didn't know everything. That's the Father's plan that's unfolded and made known and revealed. And as it's revealed, wow, he's going he's gonna to step down into that humanity and redeem it. What an amazing God. In fact, he's going to step down a little lower than the angels to redeem mankind. There's not just the mystery of, uh, of being seen by the angels. There's the mystery of this proclamation, this preaching among the Gentiles. That, that now this message is proclaimed, it's announced, it's shared. There, there's a, a mystery of this message. I mean, what's fascinating to me is he, he's preached, he's kerutzed, he's, he's spoken to this world. And what's amazing is the world doesn't understand it. God didn't choose the noble, the wise. He used the wisdom of the world, right? When he shares Christ crucified, that message to proclaim, listen, to some, it's foolishness. To some, it's a scandal. It's a stumbling block. They, they trip over it. They just can't believe it, right? But if you don't fall over him and realize you need to build your life on him, you won't have any life that's able to stand. He, he was preached among the Gentiles, rejected by his own. God knew that would happen. But, but even Jesus said, listen, I've got sheep of another fold. I've got to go and bring them in. Or as Paul would say in the book of Romans, praise God, the Gentiles, we get grafted into that tree. <laughs> so that everything that is said of the Jewish people over in the book of Exodus, Peter would say, that's us too. That's, that's us, the Christians now who believe. A chosen people, a, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar treasure. We're his. I'm grateful it says it's, it's there for the Gentiles. That wall, listen, when you'd go to worship, there was a wall, I said it earlier, that separated Jew and Gentile. You'd go to worship at the tabernacle or at the temple. There was a court of Gentiles. And if you were a God-fearer, you could go there and worship. But you could only go so far. You had to be Jewish. You had to go to be able to go into the, to the next section. And then, ladies, sorry, but then only the men could go a little further. And then men, sorry, unless you were of the tribe of of, of of Levi, you could only go a little bit further. And then, sorry if you were the tribe of Levi, unless you were the high priest, and only on one day of the year could you really go into the Holy of Holies where that glorious presence was. But that wall back here that separated Jew and Gentile and didn't allow them to go closer, that wall's broken down. Ephesians chapter 3. Praise God, we've been grafted in, amen? Listen, to the Jews belong, Paul would say in Romans, to them belong the adoption, to them belong the covenants, to them belong the scriptures, to them belong all the promises and, 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 the, and the sacrifices. Praise God, we get to partake, amen? And we who are far can be brought near. In fact, this is the amazing thing. It was preached among the Gentiles to the world. Go read the book of Acts. Peter had to have his eyes opened, right? Ah, uh, I'm a Jew. How can I go to those Gentiles? Listen, Peter, what I've, what, what, what I've cleaned is now acceptable. Go. 
And you see that, the, the gospel spreading through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You see uh, the understanding now. We, we, we can bring this message of hope. We can bring this glorious gospel. It, this is the people who weren't the people of God can now become the people of God. How amazing. And that you and I, we have the privilege, hey, to have some beautiful feet. And to shot it with the gospel of peace. And bring the message of peace, listen, to a world around us that is in rebellion against its creator. I mean, if you don't see that today with the whole XY, transgender, which gender you want to be, that is a fundamental rejection of the God who made you. And that's what's happening in our culture. And yet we can go and share with them, hey, listen, you want to be made right with him? It's Jesus and only through Jesus. You see... We should be as convinced as Peter was to, to go and to share. I mean, we have even more truth revealed to us. But when's the last time, listen, that we actually shared the gospel with someone? Now listen, there's one thing I always say in the front of your Bibles. You have those blank pages and you always wonder, what are the blank pages for? And I always say, write the names of lost people there that you're praying for. So when you read your Bible, you can pause and just pray for some of those names and we do that on Wednesday night in prayer meeting. We intentionally pray for lost souls. And I want you to pray even in 2024, not merely just to, to, to pray for their salvation, but ask God to help you to maybe, I don't know, season your speech with some salt, right? And, and speak hope to them. Share the hope that you have in your heart. Share the truths that are no longer mysterious to us. No, they're crystal clear. They've been made known. And they've changed us. Amazing thing. There, there's not just the mystery of this announcing, which to the world, man, why am I going to believe that? That's foolishness. That, that, that's, 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 that's not true. I can't accept it. The amazing thing is we preach Christ and him crucified. That's the message of God for salvation. That's really all we've got to share with the world around us. That's all that really matters, church. And the amazing thing is it's received. It's believed on in the world. That there's this mystery of, of how now man can be saved. I mean, Nicodemus asked, how can a man be saved? How can he be born again? Well, here it is. Ready? It's two words. Ready? Repent and believe. That's it. Praise God it's that simple. Amen? I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I've got no hope. I'm a wretch. God have mercy on me. I deserve the penalty for my sin. The wages of sin is death, but I see one who hung on a tree, and I see that he paid the penalty for my sin, and I want to put my trust in his sacrifice, and I want to surrender to him and yield to him and ask him to be my Savior and my Lord. Jesus saved me from my sin, and it's that simple. You see, this message preached to the Gentiles was believed on in the world. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. And hearing what? The word of God. Hearing the truth of God. Hearing the truth about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Not only must I receive it and believe it, but now I have the privilege to share it. Our God is not seen. He's not some idol like great as Diana of Artemis. No, 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 our God is heard. You can't see him, at least not here. But when we get there, oh, we'll see him. We'll behold him. But he speaks. He speaks a living word. And he speaks a word that says we have to be changed. 
And see, this is the whole mysterious thing about it. You know, all we have to do is repent and believe. So many think that godliness is, is something we do. But what is true is we can only be made godly because he's done everything. By his grace, he'll continue to do things in our life. Someone says, well, I got to give something, don't I? No, he gave everything for us. All he wants you to do is give yourself. Not reach in your pocket. or, But if he has your heart, he'll have everything in your wallet too. That's just who he is. Then there's the mystery of the ascension. He was received up in glory. Now we can run past this and just say, praise God, he's rose. He's way up there. There's so much more here. I mean, this is just a few words, and yet stop and think, what is the significance of the ascension? Why is it significant that he rose back to heaven, that he is there in glory? Well, praise God, you know what? He died in that physical body, but he rose with a glorified one. And that's what we're going to get one day. And man, I'm looking forward to mine, amen? As you turn over 50, man, you realize, man, this thing's breaking down. I want one that's going to last forever, amen? We're going to get one one day. And the amazing thing is when we will see his body, we will see him and we'll see the line of the tribe of Judah. But we're going to see the lamb that was slain. I mean, the imprints will be there on that body. But he rose with a glorified body and that's the promise for us. We, we have that as well. And there where he is, the glory of heaven where he went, he is the glory of heaven. He is the light that shines all throughout heaven. Read Revelation 21, 22. There's no need for a sun nor a moon there. There's, there's just day because he's the one who fills it. You say, praise God, he's there. You know why it's significant that he's there? Well, he ascended, Pastor Chris, and, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. But oh man, that means so much to you and me as we navigate life here. Why? Because he's at the right hand of the Father. The position of privilege. And what is he doing there? Well, he's our high priest. Praise God, he's there interceding for us, you know. When we stumble and fall short and we're guilty, he can't say, I, he doesn't say, oh, by the way, uh, they're innocent. No, he says, they're guilty, but I paid the penalty. Amen. Praise God. He's the propitiation for our sins. First John chapter 2, verse 2. And not only ours, the whole world. And that's a hard one to figure out sometimes with some of these doctrines <laughs> that are out there. Yeah, Amazing. He paid the penalty. He sits now at the right hand. And as a high priest, he can sympathize with us, right? Hebrews chapter 2, chapter 4, he can empathize with us. He understands what it's like to be in this stuff called, well, sanctified dirt, right? They're not even sanctified yet. It's just dirt, dust from the ground. And, and yet now it's glorified. And he's there interceding, understanding, mindful that, that he knows our frame. He knows our adversary. He promises us strength as we go through life. But now, not just this, not just he returned to glory, received up in glory. Hey, one day he's returning from glory. That's his promise for us, right? That's what we look forward to. One day Christ will return. That's his promise. Listen, hey, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you unto myself. By the angels will come with them even then too, right? Stop and think about this. I mean, these are just simple verses, just a few words. And yet, if you really start turning it over and over and over and over in your head and in your heart, you, you start seeing just the magnificence of our God and his glorious work that he has done. And you stop and you think, he did all of that so that we 
could be made like him. His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through the true knowledge of Jesus. This is the truth about him. This is the mystery that's been made known. The question is, is it still a mystery to you? Or do you believe it? Do you know it in your heart? Because if I know this is truth, then I live it out. I flesh it out. Not me, but Christ in me. The hope of glory. It doesn't have to be mysterious anymore. No, 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 no. I, I can know and an assent to these truths. I can confess these truths. Listen, not my parents believing for me. Students, you have to believe for yourself. Children, you have to believe for yourself. Believe what? That we're sinners. He's the only Savior. And by repenting and placing my faith and trust in Him, I can, you can be saved. When we just sang about the power of the blood, praise God, it pays the penalty and it takes away the power of sin in our lives. And one day, there'll be no presence because we'll be in His presence in heaven. 